Hello, hello, and welcome to this, the 14th episode of the Weekly Watchlist, another pop culture podcast brought to you as always by the good people at MGA Traffic. And I've got a real treat for you today. We're actually in the same room. Will Peters, hello, I can see you. Testing, testing, uh, loud and clear, loud and clear. You're one of those people a bit like the big fubber ganoush who um, just really wants to sound his very best <laughs> on the record and will do anything to get in the same room with me. Uh, like Fab, you've been really big on the face-to-face record, not uh, not for the, the repartee and not for the relationship and not for the quality of the record, but just the rather selfish, you know, how you sound. <laughs> Which, oh, I'm doing it for the quality and I do enjoy my dulcet tones in a clear uh, audio format. We did have some ups and downs with the remote records. I think we found actually a, a bit of a niche at the end. It sounded yeah, all right. But did. initially it did sound like you were at the bottom of the well on a walkie-talkie. Yeah. Uh, wasn't great, but for whatever we did at the end there, it was sounding pretty good. Which doesn't make sense because I was using a headset for gaming and like PlayStation and stuff, which has a mic, which through PlayStation is normally fine, but mm. clearly it's not made for laptops. It was weird because it sounded it sounded bad. Yeah. And then you just Very went to odd. a really like rudimentary, mm. were you using like Air, AirPod type things? Uh, yeah, like wireless headphones. It sounded a lot better. It was yeah. bizarre. And then I just went to normal FaceTime mic in the laptop and... <laughs> <laughs> They're conning us, is what this makes me realize. Is exactly. that don't go out and buy the, you know, couple of hundred dollar Sony gaming no, headset or the not. Microsoft equivalent because it's dog shit. Yeah, no good. Um, before we kick off, uh, with obviously we sort of touch base the news. There hasn't really been a whole lot of stuff going on in the news in the last little while, but obviously the, the talking point to come out of the weekend just gone was the passing of Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Which, you know, at the age of 90, um, you'd have... Fan- I didn't realise he was that old. I thought he was 80, like 75, 80. Yeah, like he had a fantastic ticket, you know, 90 years old. Yeah. Um, absolutely great. We hadn't seen him in public for quite a few years. Yeah. I think um, I think he was living in New York at one point. And one of the last public sightings of him was actually he went to watch Andy Murray play <laughs> in the US Open. And you went... It was a really touching moment. Did you ever watch The Trip, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon? Can't say I have, no. It was a really touching moment where... They do all these impressions. They did the classic Michael Caine. You know, the, that, that thing went viral. And they, they you know, did a whole raft of different impressions. They did Roger Moore. And really, really good, amongst others. <clears throat> and there's a bit where they're having dinner. And I think it's in the trip to Italy. And they're talking about, at this point, Michael or Roger Moore hadn't passed away since has. But he, they were talking about how, you know, they saw him at Michael Winner. Michael Winner was a famous British filmmaker. They saw him at Michael Winner's funeral, Michael Caine and Roger Moore. And they went... He's, you know, they're old. And I think Rob Brydon goes, well, they are old. Because mm. we have this image of them on the screen from the 60s and the 70s as these icons in these iconic roles. Because, but like, you see them and you're like, he's old. He's an old man. And that was, I remember seeing Sean Connery and being like, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. And it kind of took your breath away, but you went, oh, wow. Like, he's an old guy. He's an old yeah. man now. And that was quite a few years ago. Um and I posted on Twitter, as a lot of people did, <clears throat> the absolutely iconic image of him from Goldfinger. Many on the car. Uh, that is the greatest production still in the history of cinema. Every film has production stills taken, whether they be behind-the-scenes shots yeah. or shots for the purpose of marketing. That is the greatest, because that is James Bond. Yeah. That was taken in early 1964. Connery would have been 34 years old. <clears throat> and that is him at the absolute peak of the character, at the absolute like zenith of his career, yeah, like his charisma. There have been excellent James Bond films since Goldfinger, but no Bond film, you know, the sum hasn't added up to a greater whole 
than yeah. that movie. You can see, obviously, I watched it. It's underneath the telly there. I watched it on uh, on the uh-huh. weekend uh-huh. in tribute to uh, in tribute to Sean. And yeah. like I said, it just took the wind out of your sails. You when he's ninety, but you oh yeah, wow, he's an absolute like you know birth or you know the birth of the um, the blockbuster was something I kept going back to. Was yeah, he was one of those actors in the sixties, particularly with James Bond, who name above the title. Yeah, Sean Connery is Ian Fleming's James Bond, and yeah. all of his other stuff was a big deal. A new Sean Connery film was a big deal. He was an absolute megastar, and he was absolutely at the forefront of every year. There's a Bond film, and every year we have to go see it. And people, it's easy to, for people to to forget after Diamonds Are Forever when he left the role, he would eventually come back to it for Never Say Never Again, but which is an unofficial James Bond film. Yeah. Very interesting story, actually, for those who don't know. Never Say Never Again is basically Thunderball because the guy the guy sued Ian Fleming for, like, copyright that he had created Thunderball. Right. So he owned the rights to it. It was this weird, it's a really quirky thing. So then he just remade it, literally remade Thunderball. Mm. But when he left for Diamonds Are Forever, there was this flux as to, like, what does it mean? Like, is James Bond dead? Yeah. Because there's only been one James Bond. There can only be one James Bond. It's very easy for us now with that becoming, you're almost more interested in who the next James Bond is yeah. than who the current one is. So, you know, he left the role and he left this enormous void um, that, to be brutally honest, probably hasn't been filled. Mm. Different actors have done a really, you know, in bits and pieces, have done the character justice and been in good films, but he is still the definitive James Bond. Mm. For, for a lot of people, a lot of people look at him and go, he's the guy. Well, well and you're in, you're in quite a... You're in quite a u- unique spot where you're quite an old school James Bond fan. Mm. Like you're a super fan, I would, I'd, al- I'd almost say. Um, whereas I'm kind of of the generation where I really only had Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. And to me, I, from what I, you know, like saw people over the weekend and whatnot, it was basically anyone over the age of like forty was like, oh, Sean Connery. Oh, I was like, oh yeah, you know, it's a shame, Sean Connery. But, you know, that's just another, it happens, blah, blah, blah. But then, like, you, my parents, grandparents, like. <sighs> He's a mega, he was a oh, megastar. Yeah, which, and which I totally understand. Yeah. But it just, yeah, didn't, did not have the same effect whatsoever. You could argue, I don't know if we've spoken about this in, in the past, maybe briefly, but there are very few actors or actresses now that are name above the title. Tom Cruise yeah. probably is name above the title. And you kind of go, oh, it's a new Tom Cruise film. Hey, what is it? Very, very few actors. Like I'd say the I'd say the matching movie we watched this week. I reckon that actor is really? almost name it. like when when he comes out with something, it's like oh okay for a for a niche market. Yes, turns but heads, but I think that like Harrison Ford, not so much now. No. But he's like he's probably the last. I reckon he's the last surviving guy. Like when he when he passes, he's I think he's mid seventies, so he's hopefully mm. got plenty of years in him. But when he passes, will be kind of like. He'll be the last golden era yeah. Hollywood star. Yeah. And and Connery was absolutely that. I mean, he he had obviously that run of Bond, but then he he went and, you know, in the latter part of his career, he, you know, won his Oscar for the Untouchables. Um, he turned up in stuff like The Rock, you know, Rising Sun, like really a ton for Red October, like really good sort of like action films. And he kind of transitioned into being the supporting character, which very mm. a lot of actors struggle to do. A lot of yeah. actors who are name above the title megastar really struggle to go to be second fiddle well Arnold Schwarzenegger is a great example mm. the last 20 years of Arnold's career should have been 
supporting, you know, elder statesman roles. Yeah. But he hasn't wanted to do it because he mm. still sees himself as the name above the title, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And mm. you're like, well, you're not that anymore, but people yeah. still love you. But I'm not going to see Arnold Schwarzenegger in. Yeah. And Connery did that. Connery kind of swallowed his pride a little bit and became a, like a leading part of an ensemble, you know, whether it be second fiddle in, not even second fiddle, but equal billing in stuff like The Rock, mm-hmm. equal billing in stuff like Hunt for Red October, et cetera, et cetera, Highlander, um, Untouchables is part of an ensemble, et cetera. You know, and even in stuff like Silly That Sounds, even in stuff like Entrapment, it was him and Catherine Zeta-Jones. It wasn't, it's a new Sean Connery film. It's, oh, okay. So, look, absolutely legendary career, mm. legendary figure in Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, and really sad to see him go. The one thing I will say in passing is I've always, um, <laughs> thought it's like testament to his charisma that doesn't matter who he's playing, immortal Spaniard, Scottish accent. <laughs> Russian submarine captain, Scottish accent. King Richard. Scottish accent. No one cares. Everyone's just like, that's just how it is. Because doesn't matter who he's playing, where they're from, where they're born, where they live. Scottish accent, the thickest Scottish brogue you've ever heard. Yeah. Um, and that's just testament to his charisma. He was a fucking movie star. Mm. Um, and actually, in passing, I watched a bit of, I, I, these aren't my picks this week, but I, I, I did find myself, watch Goldfinger, I watched The Untouchables, I watched The Rock. He's a very good actor. Mm. Like, you watch him in something like The Untouchables and there's a few scenes where he obviously won an Oscar for it, so he, he was good in the film. But you watch him and you're like... Like, Kevin Costner was a big, big movie star, but he's never been a great actor. And there's moments in The Untouchables where you're like, these two guys are in different movies. Yeah. Sean Connery is in a Hollywood movie directed by Brian De Palma. Kevin Costner is in, like, a high school play. Like, they are in different films. Yeah. And they're in scenes with one another and you're like... This guy is using every bit of his experience, every bit of that that charm. Every I'd love bit to know of, how much they were getting paid. Is like I different think he, differently? Yeah, I think he probably still would have got good money because yeah. he was willing to accept. I am not the star of this movie. Yeah. However, I'm not the star of this movie on the poster necessarily. Mm. But when people leave the cinema, I'm going to be the one they're thinking about. Yeah. Because they're going to go, "Geez, he was good in that." Gee, Sean Connery was good again, or mm. whatever. I think he, like I said, very few actors have the uh, wherewithal yep. to accept their on-screen mortality. So, Vale, Mr. Connery, absolutely uh, super. Uh, something else that obviously in terms of news dropped this week, Mandalorian Episode 1. Yes. Did you watch it? I did not. I watched it. It's not one of my picks because we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more when there's more info, but yep. just great. Just really, really fun watch. Yep. I mean, it's a, it's a Star Wars show that, I think walks the line between recognizing fan service and tipping the cap and giving you ah, remember him? Yeah. Ah, yeah, you like this, yeah. and I'm sitting there going, yeah, I do, I do like <laughs> this. But then in the same breath, giving you some new stuff as well, yeah. or giving you some expanded lore. Like in this new episode, Tuscan Raiders turned up on screen 43 years ago in the first one as this kind of quirky, you know, threat on Tatooine. Yeah. Well, in that episode of The Mandalorian, we learn more about Tuscan Raider culture. It was a really interesting look, and this is how they operate. This is the dynamic of their tribe, and you sort of went, "Oh, it's interesting." You know, these are this is a group of characters that we've known very little about for a long time. I saw some still on Twitter. Are they like, there's some sort of like dragon or something. The crate dragon. Some, so yeah. the, the crate dragon was a skeleton of the crate dragon we right. saw in A New Hope. Yeah. Um, the droids walked, or R two D two and C three PO walked past this skeleton, yeah. and 
it wasn't necessarily named on screen, but you knew oh, it's a crate dragon. Oh, okay. It's like a, a desert faring, you know, monster. You went, oh, okay, big, big creature. Well, yeah. Cool. Um, in the original cuts, Obi-Wan Kenobi, to scare off the Tusken, um, the, the Tusken Raiders makes a crate dragon call. Yeah, yeah. And you were like, oh, okay. And then they added on it again. You sort of go, oh, this is why they fear it, because it's this big creature that dwells yeah. in the sand and wreaks havoc. So that was cool. Um, and just obviously a bit of Boba Fett. Cobb yeah. Vance, played by Timothy Oliphant, wearing Boba Fett's armour. This takes place five years after Return of the Jedi. The, the, uh, episode one ends with Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, he's escaped from the Sarlacc pit. <laughs> so everyone's always wondered how that happened. Whatever, it's just fun. Like, it's just a really yeah. fun, well-made show. It's a great Western. It's a classic. I reckon my, my pa, who grew up loving Westerns, uh-huh. if he got past the Star Wars name... yeah. There's enough in the show like this he would love. Yeah. Because he'd be like, it's equal parts fun, Flash Gordon serial. Yeah. And like Western, the Mandalorian goes into this small outpost and he's got to help the locals. He's got to team up with the local sheriff to bring yeah. the those locals together with their enemies to defeat a bigger enemy. And it's like, yeah. it's just good, fun, old style Hollywood stuff that's um, really great to watch. So episode two airs obviously on Friday. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, did you have any news? Um, not that I can recall other than, um, other than looking like cinemas could be open than open sooner than we thought. Mm. Um, just need to pray for a couple more donut days to get back to, but then there's going to be nothing to, they won't be releasing anything from America or Europe. That's the quirk. That's the quirk. The quirk here is there's a couple of films. The only big film that we did not get, which the Northern States got was Tenet, Mm. which was Nolan's film. But other than that, there's not a lot of catch-ups. Yeah. And as we've spoken about, big films aren't going to release. Might even just go for a chocked up and popcorn. <laughs> just go and sit in the lobby. <laughs> um, but just show a bunch of trailers. Just show two hours worth of trailers. <laughs> That's all I want. I um, need the experience. But I don't think – there's a film. So I love Wes Anderson. Yeah. He's got a new film coming out called The French Dispatch or Dispatch, which was meant to be out earlier in the year. It's been pushed back, obviously. I don't think a film like that will be released in cinemas because when cinemas – get up and running again. We've spoken about this. If you and I have got a $200 million movie, mm. going, we want to release that at the cinema. Yeah. But we want, we don't want to release it in cinemas that are capped at capacity, capped at screenings and all that because yeah. it's hemorrhaging money. Mm-hmm. So we're going to hold on to our asset until we can release it fully, release it widely. A film like The French Dispatch will just get swallowed up. Yeah. Because you think about it, Black Widow hasn't come out yet. Tenet hasn't come out yet. Um there's another big one. June. June's been pushed back. I loved the look of June pre, like pre-production. like pre But all of that stuff's been pushed back. So they're ready to go. James Bond. They mm-hmm. are ready. They are in the can. They are done. So they're going to get released in cinemas, whereas small films like The French Dispatch, I think it'll end up on a streaming platform because yeah. if they release it in cinemas, it'll just get swallowed. It'll get lost. Mm-hmm. So um, that's some good news, but the actual industry needs to be more confident that people are going to go to the cinema yeah. to release their products. So it's a bit of a wait and see. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume that we both watched Borat. Yes. For the first time, we've got a shared <laughs> pick. Um, we both watched uh, Borat. Subsequent movie film. Subsequent movie film. Yeah. Um, which obviously came out 10 days ago. 23rd. 23rd. Um, on Amazon Prime. A lot of people have watched it in the interim. Um, I'm going to be brutally honest. Yeah. I thought it was a lot better than 
it was going to be. I thought it was going to be absolutely unwatchable dog Uh shit. And I sent my mates a message. I reckon I was about 15 minutes in and I was like, this is actually all right. Mm. I think that the concept is, the concept, as we all know with Sasha Baron Cohen, he has a formula. Yeah. And as we found out with Bruno, as we found out with, what was the other one he did? Uh, Even the dictator a little bit, that was um, more of a movie. Uh, the guy, the guy shaved head. He's like a dumb secret agent. Oh, Grimsby. Grimsby. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. That was awful. But his gotcha formula yep. really depends on the character. Uh-huh. And Borat is obviously, Ali G was a very strong character, but Borat is obviously, Borat is obviously a strong character yeah. to carry the weight of a concept like this. Uh-huh. And I actually reckon, I think the first one was funnier. Mm-hmm, but definitely. I think, but I think that this one's actually a better movie. Yeah, this one is. I was saying it to my dad because he watched the first kind of twenty minutes, and then got to had to make dinner or something, and then came back to it when I was watching it. And it's very Borat funny. It's very Sasha Bowen, Sasha. Wow, Sasha Baron Cohen, um, funny. It's but it's like it's like watch this in a room with nobody. F- and or yeah. in a room full of people. Or if you're going to watch it, watch it with people that understand this humour. Yeah. Because I can guarantee you, my girlfriend, her family, my mum, my two sisters, they'd fucking hate this movie. Hate it. They'd be like, why the fuck? This is just a waste of time. The like, dancing scene. Yeah, that, uh, what do they call it? The fertility dance? The fertility dance. Me and my dad was sitting there cackling and giggling like little boys. It's classic shock humour. Yeah. And I, and I found, I was watching a Looper video on YouTube during the week that all of, like, they were... Every person in that scene was basically paid 50 bucks to be there, hmm. dress up like they're in a thing, but then it got so bad. They just left. That they left and the uh, the venue actually kicked Sasha Bowen, <laughs> Sasha's team out um, because it was so wrong and disgusting. Well, there's great stories of Larry Charles, who is like the legendary writer, wrote for Seinfeld, wrote for Curb Your Enthusiasm, wrote for Entourage, yeah. wrote for heaps of heaps of great stuff, fantastic comedic writer and he worked on the first one Mm. and basically quit so they did the big rodeo scene in the first one and he goes i've never been more afraid because that's not an exaggeration he goes i've never been more afraid he wore he was wearing bulletproof vests he goes i've just like like it's crazy is i've never been more afraid and then that's what borat invites obviously this film challenges that head on when people recognize him Mm. and i think that I don't think that was necessarily a setup. I think that was just something they ran into where people recognised him. At the start? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I, 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 knew, I, was, I was juggling with the idea of, is that a setup to get him in other outfits or... No, nah, I reckon that's 100% real. Yeah. They've gone to go back to America and yeah. people have gone, fuck, people like know what I am, who I am. I think that because I thought to myself, it's, it's a classic case of like, we're making a Batman film, but Batman's not in it. You're like, well, you wouldn't do that because people want to see Batman. Yeah. So you make a Borat film, but Borat's actually not in sections of the film because yeah. he couldn't be Borat. Yeah. So I was like, that's an interesting challenge for them to overcome. And how they do it is um, Maria Baklova, is that her name? Bakalova. Bakalova. Baklova is a lovely des- a Greek treat. <laughs> Baklova. Um, Maria uh, <laughs> ba- Bakalova, she's, she's every bit on his level. Yeah. I don't know where they found her. I think she's like Bulgarian she was, she'd or done, something. Um, she'd done like just like minor Bulgarian movies. She is fearless yeah. in this film. And like they, they would have sat there going, we need somebody who A, gets it, like you said earlier, like somebody who gets it, gets what uh-huh. we're doing, gets the concept. Yeah. And then B, is just 
fearless. Well, like when they casted her, I read that there was like 150 women and they literally just like, they got to like 70 something, found her and were like, yep, like don't even, we're not even going to see the rest. She, she's, she's got some bits like, like I said, the concept's a bit, a bit tiresome, the clumsy foreigner exploits people's courtesy. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's, it's a bit worn, but uh-huh. you know, you chuckle at bits and pieces. I loved my favourite joke almost in the whole movie is the little things. Like I loved when they walked into that copy store, you know, when they were sending the faxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's like, that's funny. Yeah. Like, no, it's a bit chuckle worthy. Um, but then when, when, is it Tuta? Tuta, is that her name? Tuta, yeah. She walks in and asks why the sky is so low. <laughs> he goes, it's the ceiling. <laughs> I, like shit like that is, I don't know. I just think it's, I, I'd laugh. Like it didn't need to be a written joke in no. there, but it was just like, Somehow it's worked its way through the edit and it works. And it's just that moment of like perfectly playing into how they're presenting her character is so shuttered, like, you know, she's in a cage and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Um, and that's what I mean by... <laughs> I love the... I love the... Whenever she she does something stupid and there's one of like the innocent Americans there, he's like, oh, teenagers, right? Teenagers. <laughs> I just like when, they, I like when they spoke like gibberish Kazakh to each other. Yeah. And there's someone standing there going, what the fuck? What's going on? <laughs> but, uh, um, but I, I think, like I said, that, that speaks to what I was saying earlier, that I think it's a better film than the first one because yeah. the plot in this one is actually a bit more discernible. Mm. And the through line of the plot, which they probably found midway through the film, is yep. that it's a it's a film about exposing gender prejudice, and that she becomes, you know, her own woman, yep. um, and that's what the the Borat character is challenged with, and all that. It's a very simple premise, but I think it's a lot more effective than the fucking the Pamela Anderson premise, which all, which although funny, mm. doesn't really make for a great movie. Yeah. All the setups in the first Borat, more of the setups, more of the the, um, the sketch setups probably work. Yeah. Which make it a funnier movie. But this one's a bit more of a, oh, I get what this movie's trying to tell me, what it's trying to say. Yeah. The first one was just a bunch of sketches sewn together. Yeah. Whereas this one's like, oh, you know, I understand what you're, what you're yeah. telling us. So um, what did you make? Obviously, the big talking point was the... The Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. My takeaway from that is clearly the target was... Hence. Yeah. And the film makes a joke of that when they keep retitling the film. Yeah. And the film makes a funny, like, in-joke of that. But clearly they wanted Pence and they found out pretty quickly, we're actually not going to be able to get him. Yeah. We're not going to be able to get close enough to him. Yeah. We're not going to be able to get to him as Borat. No. So what do we do? Who's, who else? Gone down the tree. Exactly. Who else is there? Yeah. And the Giuliani scene to me, what did you make of it? I it kind of, it plays to that narrative of the last like twelve months where we found out about all the um all of the you know Jeffrey Epstein stuff and you go he's just another one of those elite um, upper echelon of people that is in that ring possibly in that ring um, I I couldn't make out I couldn't remember if she stated that she was fifteen when talking to. Giuliani? That's my, not issue, issues, issues not the right word. All of these films need a gotcha moment. Yeah. And they need a scalp. Mm. So they couldn't get Pence, whoever else they wanted, I'm not sure. They might have wanted Bannon. Um, I was going to say Mike Bannon. I think that was the name of uh, Gerard Butler's character in <laughs> Olympus Has Fallen. <laughs> they couldn't get Gerard Butler. They couldn't get um, Steve, Steve Bannon? 
the yeah. chief of staff. Um, so they go down to Giuliani. He's yeah. obviously his attorney, very close personal friend, blah, blah, blah. The hoops they would have had to jump through to get this interview, mm. I don't think people realise they would have had to have falsified credentials, yeah. falsified like CVs, yeah. falsified a work history, falsified the purpose of the interview. Yeah. He, he was under no illusion that she was younger than 25 or whatever yeah. she is. He, there is no way he knew, suspected, was intimated, led to believe she was 15. Mm. No chance, zero. And then further to that, she's sort of coming on to him. He does come across as a creep. Yeah. Not a, no question. No question. But she is the one initiating all of it. Oh, definitely. And then the piece de resistance, I do think he was just tucking his shirt back in. Yeah. They, they can make of it what they want. They can try to turn it into something else. But he, I think but he's then, tucking his shirt in. If I've ever, you know, been to the toilet at a formal event, you've got a shirt, yeah. uh, whatever, or I'm in a hotel room or something, night out, blah, blah, blah. I'm not laying down to tuck my shirt in. Well, I think it's a, that that was a bit awkward. I'm standing up. I think it was a bit awkward more than anything in that he was sitting down, and it's like I said, he does come up very lecherous and very inappropriate. Yeah. But I remember I was watching. And I just went, I think it's because he's sort of sitting down and then he's just lied back to tuck his shirt in. And I'm like, I'm I'm comfortable that for he's, me it's that for me it was the let me get your number and that was a bit weird. That. You're like, but oh, I, I was comfortable on, immediately watching it, thinking he's not reaching for his cock. No. And I thought that's you try and geez you. you you're making, but then it's just it, all it is is just publicity for the film. Exactly right, spot on. And I think that that's what people need to recognise is that to get this sit down with Giuliani, they have bareface lied yeah. to get it, and then now they're kind of they're misrepresenting their intentions, they're misrepresenting what happened, and they're misrepresenting how things happened. Yeah, and it's like oh, we can we can at once we can take away that Giuliani comes across as a creep yeah. and that he was clearly set up. Yeah. Those two things can coexist. You're like, uh, yeah. And I'd love to know if when they were when Borat runs in to like save, was he actually sitting in another room just like waiting for? Yeah, he would have been. Yeah. Yeah, and just runs in and just like, who's to say that there's not a Giuliani like bodyguard somewhere that just like, you know, beats up the cameraman and then just goes, "No, nah, fuck you, fuck this, fuck that." Like he's fearless. He's like. He's fearless. And, that, and that's the thing where you go, you, you start to go, he is obviously, because when he, when he initially comes into the room, he's not Borat. No, he's... As the sound guy. Oh, yeah. So you're yes. sort of going, and this is too where you sort of go, you reap what you sow a little bit. Someone at the level of Giuliani, surely there's somebody like a handler, a media person or whatever, who knows this who this guy is. Mm-hmm. But that speaks to the sophistication of the setup. Is that yeah. they got through those? They got through the net, and you're exactly. going. But look, I think in closing on it. Plus, I, there was no, there was no. Um, the only thing I saw that there was no publicity of Borat's being filmed. There'd mm. been sightings of Borat in a car. That was it. So there was no like, well, oh, Sasha Baron Cohen, he's out filming things for a new movie. Watch out. Well, I read a thing about the because a little bit like you, I was like this, the girl. Maria Bakalova, I was like, what is, what is, where has she come from? What, what else <laughs> yeah. has she been in? Yeah. As you said, a lot of Bulgarian stuff. There was an article about how she she was posting on her personal Instagram. She was obviously quarantining yeah. in LA or whatever. She was obviously at a house 
she'd come over from Bulgaria and she was quarantining for the shoot. Mm. And that was like in the American summer. Yeah. So she'd obviously go, you've got to come over, you've got to quarantine, and then we're going to hit the road. Yeah. So the film came together very quickly, which is what a film like this needs to. Yeah. And we spoke about it when we were like, they just dropped like an announcement that there's a new Borat film in three weeks. Yeah. I'm like, what? Three weeks? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yeah, legitimately three weeks. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. Mm. But obviously when a film like this gets released, there's a lot of people who rush to say it's not funny and you go, don't watch it then. Yeah. Faber Ganoush was one of those people who's at pains to tell people he didn't think it was funny and you're going, that's fine. Turn it off. Turn it off. We love you, Fab, but stop complaining. Don't be a little bitch. Exactly right. And I tried to say to him, because he loved the first one, and I was like, well, you're, you're 15 years older. Yeah. Like your life's changed, your, your perspective's changed. Everything about your personnel, really, from the time you watched the first one, has changed. It's just a reality. It's the fact. Um, who's trying to call me here? I don't know who this is. I don't know what this number is. I'm going to let it vibrating. I'm going to let it ring out because I don't know who that is. Um, We'd love to offer you a million dollars. I should probably take it if that's the case. Um, yes, look, I, I thought whilst it's no absolute classic, it was better than I expected it to be. Yeah, and I if, was pleasantly surprised. And if you like Borat, you'll like this. Mm. Classic. Uh, did you want to lead off with your number two pick? Um, yes, I will. I'm not as uh, ready as I have been because usually I have multiple tabs and mm. notes and whatnot open. So I'll just... Um, back to Will reading off his phone. So, yeah. Ooh, ooh, boy. I should probably just bring my laptop. Shouldn't I? You can do what you want. Um, it's so a free country, man. I did a movie called The Last Full Measure. Heard the Last it? Seen Full Measure? The Last Full Measure? Yes. The fuck is that? Uh, it's a just another one on uh, on Netflix, but it's a movie with Sebastian Stan in it, so oh, our, yes. our good friend. Um, again, I can only ever see him as uh, as a Marvel character. Um, but essentially, it just goes on uh, goes on a it's it's a story about basically there's this hotshot lawyer who is Sebastian Stan uh, in Washington. He's asked to review um, review a medal from the Air Force that was given to a airman called William Pitzenbarger, known as Pitts in the movie, um, who he was awarded uh, a certain type of medal that was downgraded from a Medal of Honor. Um, Medal of Honor being obviously the highest uh, highest medal you can get in the, mil- the American military. Mm. Military is the whole of Air Force. Army. Uh, you call it, yeah, because you've got Army, Navy, Air Force. Yeah. Air Force. Um, so basically, it's, just, it's, a really, it's a really, really good story about this guy, all he, all he lives for, this lawyer, all he lives for is basically earning more money, getting better positions, you know, being a douche, essentially. Sounds like he's got his priorities right. And then, you know, like in any group, he finds himself, he finds the real reason why he's doing it. There's some great cameos. It's a hero's journey, Will. It is. Um, you start some somewhere, you end up at a 180. Really, really good cameos. Things. I'm looking um, at the cast here. <clears throat> you got Christopher Plummer, yeah, who doesn't look anything like he used to. It's weird. If you watch <laughs> The Sound of Music and then saw a photo of him today, you'd be yeah. like, that's not the same guy. Oh, he is, he um, he's like, Hella old. He's in, very old. in this movie. Peter Fonda is obviously a big name from the past. Sam Jackson. Yeah. William um, Hurt. Uh-huh. Ed Harris. Mm-hmm. That's where the cast list ends for me. Uh, and we've got. I just saw. 
Linus Roche. I don't know. His, his name's Whit Peters. I just I saw Whit Peters. I'm like, oh my god, his name's Will Peters. But he's definitely <laughs> I not. I've I seen connect with him. Um, Bradley Whitford plays a bit of a douchebag. Bradley Whitford in this movie. Yeah, my he's, man from the West Wing. Yeah, and from Billy Madison. Oh yeah, uh, and um, Samuel L. Jackson as well. He's a former, uh, or he was on. Basically, he was one of the army men when Pitts came down from the chopper. Um, and he's got some really cool scenes in, in in the movie, and plays a bit of like plays a bit of a hard ass old Vietnam vet. Um, and it touches the movie touches a lot on the kind of well noted history about how the war was received um, in America, Australia, that it wasn't really a war that anyone liked knowing about. Which one, the Vietnam Vietnam War? war. Well, there's a great. Um the Vietnam War, I feel like I've had this conversation with you before, yeah. was the first televised war. Yes, exactly. Um, which massively changed the perception of the American public. You could no longer, you, know, you, could, you couldn't paint it as this heroic, valorous yeah. you know, act you know, of service and victory and we're fighting the right cause because the body bags were being shown on TV, the cost of the war. Yeah. Every, you know, up until that point, you could obscure from the general public mm-hmm. – that toll, yeah. Whereas in Vietnam, you know, the first television war, um, they just they couldn't hide it. So people's perception of it, even you know, quite disgracefully, one of the greatest depictions of it is born on the Fourth of July, which um, Tom Cruise should have won an Oscar for. It was unbelievable. But for whatever reason, even the men who fought in the Vietnam War were castigated, yeah, and not honoured and not respected for their sacrifice and not respected for you know the horrors that they that, that they faced mm. um and we're you know we're really it was a really shameful moment for america that they just oh, failed even, even for australia as well though no my, absolutely they failed to recognize these guys service yeah my grandma's brother went over he's, he's still he's still rocking to this day but he's just like it's just not talked about in the family and which is funny because like World War Two, World War One. Oh, these. It's uh, like, oh, tell me more. It's like these, this, this fairy tale. Yeah. Like, oh, because we the, all the, see it in black and white. The greatest all, generation, yeah. and all that stuff. And you're like, very true. Unbelievable acts of heroism and 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 the like, bravery, etc. But you're like, for whatever reason, Korea, not so much, but Vietnam particularly, is just the black sheep of. No, 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 don't talk about that one. I think all the other wars as well. The other side was doing the same thing as us. This this war, they were all hiding in trees and like. In the, in the ground, and there was a lot of like, why were they fighting it? And yeah, is this exactly. our fight? Yeah. And we're fighting communism, but it's, but, um, it's good. I found I found myself just kind of like there was little bits of the movie where I was like, I'm getting a bit lost and just like scrolling my phone, and then this music would start. I'm like, oh, that music! It's like the middle of on a game. I was like, what a great series of games that was! Oh, so good, unbelievable. Um, and then I was like, why is that? You know, why are they playing that sort of music? And then in my head, I'm like, it's this whole movie is about getting the Medal of Honor. Medal of Honor. <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh, there you go. Um, but yeah, the last full measure, I kind of was unsure how it was going to play out because um, I I had to dig fairly deep on Netflix to get it. Um, I was just literally scrolling, 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 saw something warry. I was like, ooh. ooh. Um, chucked it on. The Dennis Leary and all of us. Yeah. I like football um, and porno and books about war. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's one of the great comedy lines because most guys are like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty true. much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the last full measure. It's on uh, on Netflix at the moment. You are basically Netflix spokesman. I am, I am because I I'm actually about to give up Stan. Okay. 
not me, my girlfriend is, which is what's mine is hers. Um, and that's what's like, hers is mine. <laughs> I was like, Fab, Fab was, uh, shout out to Fabakanoush again, was telling me the other day about, I spoke to you earlier, they've been having, they're back in the office. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they've been having some internet problems. Yeah. And they're potentially investigating. They're with Optus, their, their sort of business account. That's your problem. Never, never get. But they're potentially from investigating because they've got their phones, personal mm-hmm. phones, mobiles, and they're investigating something with Telstra. And my immediate thought was like, "Well, what happens to your Optus Sport account?" Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been picking me back in on that bad boy for four years. <laughs> it's like mum and dad the other day were like, the "Oh, the EPL in the Champions League, being behind a paywall for four years. <laughs> yeah. I haven't paid a cent." <laughs> It's like mum and dad were talking the other day. Oh, we might um we might get rid of KO. What? I, I look at them I'm like <gasps> because they got it for cycling and cycling. Dad, they they love cycling like tour, the tour de France, rah rah rah. Um, they they're my fa- I'm literally I'm 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 the lone wolf in my family. I would no AFL love. Like they yeah, but they're like they'll just I'll oh, put it on Channel Seven and then they'll just like flick it. I'm like they'll put it back. What about the cricket? No cricket love. They're just like if it's on, like, but if it's on, they'll just be like, oh yeah, like they don't sit down and watch sport. Okay. I'm the only one that does that. So then I was there watching NBA, watching NFL, yeah. baseball, yeah. and I was like, don't you fucking dare! Don't you <laughs> fucking dare! And then and then they're like, well, you pay for it. I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that either. <laughs> no. <laughs> How much is it a month? It's like twenty five a month. Fuck. Um, which is like, but then you can you essentially just get. I can understand why because you can just get a live you can get a live channel. You don't have to pick the program. Mm. You can find the live channel and just have it on Fox Sports all day. Like it is good. Yeah. KO like if you if you like sport, KO is great. Yeah, and I don't need Foxtel. For, I don't think I need Foxtel for anything else. You know, I might watch mm. it. Like Foxtel. I want. I might watch a Bear Grylls show here and there. See, Fo- Foxtel is good to have. I find in the sense that if you're not really wanting to watch anything in particular, yeah. You know, there'll be whether it be the movie channel or something. There'll be something on. You go, oh yeah, we'll put this on. Or like recording to things. make the decision for you. Like if I want to watch free to air TV later, I don't want to wait for it to go up on on demand. Mm-hmm. I'd love to just fox to like cue it and be like, yeah, yeah, so yeah that's I'll good. Watch too. this half an hour later. That's good too. So, are you giving this a thumbs um, up? How are we giving it to Foxtel? Uh, yeah, last full measure. I'm going to give it a. It's got six point seven on IMDb. I'm going to give it a seven and a half. Okay. Um, I. As as is well noted, I like a war movie, and this is one of those ones that I liked. Um, and it, you know, and it's got it, and it's got your element of combat in there that you know keeps people watching these sorts of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all flashbacks, obviously, but um, yeah, really, 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 really nice movie. I was going to ask you a rhetorical question: Does he get the Medal of Honor? And I was like, that's probably the spoiler, the point of the movie, and <laughs> probably self evident. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, my f- first individual pick of the week is something that actually wrapped up for me uh yes to monday maybe whatever day it is. i think it aired on sundays in america on showtime um, i'm not 100 percent sure where you can find it on sort of australian tv whether it be through fox or the like it's a five-part documentary series called the comedy store now those people who listen to joe rogan um he's a comedian obviously and worked at the comedy store for many many years he and his friends you know bert kreischer and, and others Ari Shafir and yeah. a lot of the guys he speaks to about comedy all talk about the store. Uh-huh. And some of them actually talk about this documentary, which was put together by Mike Binder, who's a former comedian and, and veteran of the comedy store. Um, I loved it. Five part, all five parts are out now. They each go for about an hour, these episodes, and they each chart an era. And that era's stars 
who went through the comedy store and the comedy store's impact on comedy, its importance to comedy, how it evolved comedy. Um, I think it's a really, really look, really interesting look, a really interesting portrait of this iconic place. Mm-hmm. And the comedy store is the comedy store is an iconic, um, iconic place to go through. You know, the people who are a in this documentary spoken to for it, or b might be dead, yep. and went through the comedy store. Like anyone who's anyone, and plenty of people who were never anybody, um, have taken the stage of the comedy store. Robin Williams, Richard Pryor, Dave Chappelle, Joe Rogan, Sebastian Maniscalco, Jim Carrey, like the, the list. It goes on, yeah. Like you, then you can name all these people, like Jay Leno, uh, David Letterman, Michael Keaton. You know, when he was a stand-up comic, Tim Allen, Damon Wayans, Judd Apatow, Chris Rock, Bill Burr, Louis C.K. You go through it. The comedy store is the West Coast mecca. If you are comedy. anybody, yeah, you are performing at the comedy store. If you and I went to the comedy store tonight. Maybe not tonight because of COVID and the like. But if we just went out to the comedy store, thought, "Oh, we'll go, we'll go have dinner, and we'll go to the comedy store." We could get a set from the um, biggest comedian in the world. Yeah, Joe who, Rogan could walk on stage. Who, who just wants to work some? Who material. wants to work? And it's, I think, what I loved about this doco, it was very much the cradle of comedy on the West Coast, and then became the mecca, as I said. And it just talks to anyone and everyone who came through those doors and speaks to them about what the place means to them, what the place gave them, how important it was for them. Um, great stories from working in it, you know, the ups and downs of when the place was at the tippy top of the industry and then it had its sort of nadir. Um, it speaks about Mitzi Shaw, who was Paulie Shaw's mother, who owned the comedy store and ran it for many oh, decades. Yeah. When she divorced Paulie Shaw's dad, apparently in the divorce she was like, I don't want anything but the store. Yeah. She was, you can have everything. You can have everything but the comedy store. Yeah, and he was like, okay, not and not in a nasty, but he was like, oh, you love it, yeah, because you love the place, and she did, and, and they all speak with such incredible warmth about this woman who, a lot of people wouldn't know, like launched the careers of fucking everyone, yeah, because the platform used to be, you would work at the comedy store, and you would work there for fucking yonks, and you would get your act, you'd hone your act, and you'd become a regular, and you'd blah blah, blah. and then you'd get on the Tonight Show. Yeah. You didn't get on The Tonight Show unless you were killing at the comedy store. So that was the stepping stone. Everyone went through it and went, oh, first things first, I've got to dominate here on one of the stages of the comedy store. I've got to make it here. And then just maybe I'll get a gig on The Tonight Show. Maybe I'll get a TV pilot. You know, that's that's the stepping stone. In yeah. Jay Leno's case, he gets The Tonight Show. Yeah. In David Letterman's case, he gets Late Night and then he gets his own show. Um, Love to know who's going to be the next round of um, next round of late nights. I think it's in a flux. I don't think it's anyone at the moment. I think that Fallon will do it for Yonks. Fallon will Fallon will do it for another fifteen years at least. Um, Conan's. Do you think? What if all the other ones kind of move on? Then they, the, don't they normally yeah. all just like jump from one? Like, but, but he's got. See, he's got the he's got the Tonight Show, yeah. which is the show. Mm. He's got the big gig. Yeah. And The Tonight Show will always have its audience. It's NBC. It's a staple. It's been going for fucking 55 plus years. Um, He'll do it for a lot longer. Conan's probably got quite a few years in him and he has his own little niche. Um, Corden's got his young sort of crew. Yeah. Kimmel. I like like Colbert. Kimmel. Colbert's all right. Colbert's all right. One of the most underrated guys was Craig Ferguson. 
Craig Ferguson used to do the show after Letterman. Right. And he was just, he was the, the, the zany boss on Drew Carey, yeah. Scottish guy. He did one of the most beautiful, his father died. And he went on stage that night and people in the monologue usually expect silly jokes and whatever. And he did this beautiful, like, eulogy. You can look it on YouTube. It's this beautiful eulogy about his dad. Mm. And it's this just fantastic. It's one of the best things I've seen a late night talk show host do. It's just magnificent. He spoke about these great stories he's, because his father was a postman near and dear to my heart. Um, <laughs> but he said his father was a, his father was a postman and he, and he worked his way up from being the lowest of the low to like the um, one of the bosses in like the Glasgow, whether it be Scottish Post or the yeah, Glasgow yeah. you know area. And he goes, he worked his way up the ladder and became a really senior figure. And he goes, when I was at my lowest ebb, a drunk, hopeless, an alcoholic, mm. he goes, he got me a gig like working at post. And I was like, isn't that funny? Cause that's like what happens here as well is that, you know, a whole bunch of my uncles and dad work at post. I work at my cousin worked at post, blah, blah, yeah. blah. There's all these family connections, very generational. And he tells this great story about turning up to work drunk and his old man didn't say anything, but the next morning he sent him out to Glasgow airport to unload the planes at like four in the morning <laughs> in the middle of winter. And he goes, he goes, I've never been so cold in my entire life. He goes, but the lesson was, he goes, I've, I've remembered it forever. And mm. he, he tells this beautiful story. That's sort of by the by. But um, I think that nothing feels so of its time, more so than comedy. Mm. You know, like you watch a movie from the 80s and you're like, yeah, that's an 80s film. Yeah. That's a 90s film. They have a look and a feel comedies like that. And the way this, this, this documentary for me dissects the acts of that time you know, Sam Kinison became one of the biggest things in comedy. Andrew Dice Clay. And you sort of go, they probably couldn't have succeeded anywhere but their, their era. Yeah. But they were huge. And you look at it and you can appreciate that comedy has evolved from there. And I think it just plots that chart. It does this really, really great job of peeling back, you know, the layers we speak about, I joke about, you know, I'm always more interested in, the stories about the wrestling business that I am the yeah. wrestling business yeah. and comedy is a bit like that. Like John, oh, definitely. I'm always, if I watch something that's hilarious or I remember when I smashed out Seinfeld, um, one uni holiday, I just, I spent two weeks on YouTube then looking at like Seinf uh, Jerry's history. And did you watch the, um, the Seinfeld like making of doco? Probably. I can never remember what it's called. Yeah. It's on YouTube. It goes for like an hour. Probably. It's brilliant. Yeah. It like basically charts how it ended up at NBC they got four episodes to begin with. Mm. The producer who like vouched for it, the there was a literally one executive like producer at NBC who basically said, "I get like two and a half hours or something worth of I can I can make whatever fucking show I want as part of my contract. I get two and a half hours to do with what I want every year." And he, you chose Seinfeld. He said, "I'll give you two hours to make four episodes," and he backed it. Yeah, and he was just on a hunch. He goes, "I reckon there's something there." It's, I can't remember what this doco's called. It's just I, a I definitely think I have seen it. Yeah. And it's just a brilliant look at, at how they made it. But there's there's something like wrestling really interesting about the politics and, and the stuff that happens behind the curtain with, with comedy. I mean, this doco's got outstanding stock footage, historical footage of all these old acts, great anecdotes. It's like a living, breathing account of this place that's been the cradle of comedy in America, particularly the West Coast, since it opened its doors. Mm. Um I just think that, yeah, once you hear all those, you look at the dynamics and the like, it just becomes more interesting. And I think the lasting impression I get is that the people who walk the boards of the comedy store love the comedy store. Yeah. 
you listen to Joe Rogan and as I said, he talks about it all the time. And they all speak about it with such reverence and such respect and such, um, I don't know, uh, thank, like gratefulness of I went through there and I worked my way up and you, you see Joe Rogan talk about it, you see Jim Carrey talk about it, you see Andrew Dice Clay talk about it and then you see a bunch of comics you've never heard about whose journeys are starting out mm. and all those guys did what they did. And it's this great through line, this, this plots of course from day one to now and why it is the place that it is and um, – I don't know. I, I, just, I just think it's an excellent, really great show. Five episodes. It's got mm. everything. Covers Mitzi Shaw, the person. Covers, you know, Richard Pryor. Covers what cable TV did to comedy, how it affected comedy with comedy specials. Became the rage instead of like the Tonight Show. It covers, there was a strike at the comedy store because comics weren't getting paid. Yeah. The trade-off was you're getting time to work on your act. And some comics said, well, without that, we don't get anywhere. Some comics said, we're the IP, we should get paid. Blah, 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 blah. It covers all the ups and downs. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, all five episodes are available now. I really couldn't recommend it any high. I was I saw a review of it, I think after episode three, this guy wrote a review and it was really like lukewarm. Mm. And it was one of those things that it's not for everyone, but I remember reading this review going, I reckon this guy's like completely missed the point <laughs> of like, because he said something about there's no punchline. And I was like, but it's not a comedy it's not special. A comedy sp- yeah. There are bits and pieces Idiot. where you see acts and you're yeah. like, oh, that's funny. You see a joke and you're like, that's yeah. funny. But it's not about that. Yeah. It's a history of this place. It's absolutely outstanding. The Comedy Store is just what it's called. It did air on Showtime in the States. I mm-hmm. uh, really, really highly recommend it. Mm. Nice. Check it out. Um, my last one is a, is a continuation. It was like a kind of a one, one piece follow up from a. Uh, a series that I watched through lockdown um, that I just kind of remembered and then saw that there was a follow-up piece on it. Uh, I don't, you'll probably hate this, but uh, Justin Bieber's seasons. What the fuck is that? So he, uh, through lockdown before his most recent album, um, he basically released a doco series about his kind of his life um, and his, uh, his, he, f- he obviously found his the, the love of his life in Haley Baldwin, um, who is now Haley Bieber, and it just kind of follows um, his marriage, making of the album, um, his kind of ups and downs of his career post over the last like four years, because until like four years ago he was always you know always touring, touring and releasing things, and out of nowhere he just like stopped his tour and just said I can't do it. Um, I don't blame him. Yeah, and which is understandable. He'd been you doing grind, it for, man. You know, six, seven years, um, nonstop, and basically just stopped. Um, came out with a song here or there, but then this is his first album in a couple of years. Um, and so the season, the Justin Bieber seasons, is the series, and the follow up was um, Justin Bieber: The Next Chapter. Do it, you feel any degree of shame for watching these? Not at all, because <laughs> I've been. There's this stigma around enjoying Bieber. Obviously, when he, like, early, early days when he's a 12 and releasing these songs with a little squeaky voice, they weren't, they were, they were your cookie cutter, you know, uh, act and your cookie cutter song. You know it's going to work. It's a single. He's a young kid, good looking kid, blah, blah, blah. Girls are going to love him. But then as you started growing up, I really, I thought, I'll, I'll admit it, I thoroughly enjoyed his, his later music. Um, some of it was a bit soppy, 
But um, but his most recent <laughs> album is basically his most recent album is a bit annoying because it's basically all about love and his wife, and his like and the, his love for life and he's finding God. He's getting really weird in that part of his life. Do you find that when you're listening to Justin Bieber, I had this thought when I when I was in the UK and I was um, I was on the tube, I was going somewhere, and I had the iPod on, you know, shuffle, and uh, Skater Boy came on, <laughs> and I was like, my immediate thought was. Huh, skater Boy, what a tune. But then I was like, I want to listen to this loud enough so that I can enjoy it, but not so loud that anyone else knows I'm listening to it. Well, I was like, in, in high school, there's no chance I would have been like, yeah, just, I like Justin Bieber. Like, I don't mind listening to Justin Bieber. But in my early adulthood, um, I have... You're owning learned, it. I'm, I, I've learned to, you know, not care what people think. Um, and if I, I like someone's music, I like someone's music. Justin Bieber is one of them. I don't like everything he does, um, but I enjoy getting an insight into his life. We're a similar age, lived a completely different life. Um, well. <laughs> it's, but it's something that, I know, just like like you love the narrative of, of wrestling. I just, I want to know more about someone that doesn't, I want to know more about something you don't get to see. Mm. Um, well, you get, it's, exa- it's a really good example you give because it's like Justin Bieber, whether it be his albums or his um, music videos yeah. or his Instagram account or like it's a very curated mm. very deliberately very you know manicured this is what we want you to see and this is how we want you to think yeah and what we want you to feel like they have pr managers pr managers and they very you know they, they curate it very carefully to get a desired result yeah in the same way that like i spoke about the comedy store someone gets up on stage and does a 10 minute set mm. that took months yeah. years to get to that that article that finished article of bang 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 and the wrestling's the same we see yeah. what they show us on tv no 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 i want to see i'm more interested in the backstage how'd exactly you, how'd yeah. you get to this yeah so in like in justin bieber the next chapter which is the follow-up from this big series they it sits down with his like mentor um usher they, no so usher actually like post 2016 usher really hasn't had a lot to do with him what was his story? He was on YouTube. He was, he was just doing covers on YouTube. Usher saw it or got sent it by someone, got him in. Um, Scooter Braun at the time <laughs> Scooter Braun. was a label uh, manager. Or He's the one that was screwing over Taylor Swift? I think so, yeah. yeah. But then Taylor Swift is a psycho, so anyway. Probably. Um, but uh, yeah, he and then Usher found him, showed him to Scooter. Scooter signed him and now Scooter signs like Ariana Grande, all like the young, big megastars. Anyway, super. He was like 26, 27 at, at the time, got this kid, and now he's a fucking millionaire. Um, it's a tragedy, isn't it? But yeah, they've got like, there's, there's these really nice scenes where it's Justin, his mentor, I forgot his name, and he's like, he, he helps with his clothing line, Scooter Braun, and his man, and his like, um, just like everything assistant, like someone that does everything for him, he's been there from day one. And they show this vision of early, early days, that classic Justin Bieber we all think of when he's young, where he's got that little bowl cut mm-hmm. and like wearing that purple he always wore. Yeah. Um, and they just kind of like look at him do things when he was younger and annoying and Justin Bieber's still there trying to like justify what he did. And it's like, because he'd get in trouble by the manager. He's like, no, nah, it's fine because I know it's like, they just touch on old bits of footage of him when he's so young and so innocent and he's sitting there now. 10, 11 years later. It must be pretty hard. Like, you grow up in front of the world. Oh. Like, whether you're a kid on a TV show or a my, One a of his most recent songs touches on that. It's, like, it's, it's called it's called Lonely. But it's like, you just they, they get this little kid. I just think of Team America. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Rory. So Rory. Like they, they, they get this little kid to act as him. He's dressed up. You start the music video knowing that it's a little Justin Bieber. So it's Bieber. not a cover of Team America. No. <laughs> and um, it just, you know, it kind of touches on he never got the chance to grow up. He was just always there. So now the, the reason he took three, four years off is so he could live his life and do his thing. And during lockdown as well, it's kind of helped him grow his... Everyone, he's not just megastar Justin Bieber. He would go live on Instagram and, like, invite people in and just have a chat with them. Like, what... A lot of megastars don't do is that. I think that, that lockdown's a good opportunity for that kind of stuff to happen, isn't yeah. it? Where you go, I can't tour. I can and, record and it, an album. And it was when America and Canada were like full, no one leaves. Mm. And so he was there, he was in some, he's got some, you know, mansion up in the hills in the snow somewhere. He's just like doing his own thing and living. It might just be the, a perfect opportunity for guys like that. I think it's pretty easy for us to, you know, be glib about the kind of lives these people would live, the pros and the highs are unbelievably yeah, high. of course. But, you know, I always think about that, like, if I go and see The Killers. Like, The Killers are actually meant to be playing pretty soon. They're yeah. meant to be here. I think, I'm think i pretty sure it was in November. Um, but you sit there and go, I go to see them once every couple of years, and my expectation is that they, like, they be really good. And they leave me walking out of the arena going, that was fantastic. <laughs> They're playing a gig the night before the night after, then they're flying somewhere else. Yeah, doing the exact same thing. Doing the exact same thing. But the expectation from the audience, every individual audience is great energy, great performance. You know, you're doing the same fucking show. Yeah. And you go, that would be potentially be mentally taxing. It would be, there'd be times where you're standing there off stage going, Mm. fucking hell. Like I remember I saw, uh, I saw Blink-182, seen them quite a few times, but one time, the first time I saw them, they were like the classic Mark, Tom and Travis show, cracking wise, carrying on. You know, that was their, their shtick. Yeah. And it was what the audience wants. And then the next time I saw them, they were obviously in the middle of their, like, breakdown. And they didn't talk. Mm. They genuinely just played the gig. That was it. Got off the stage. And got off the stage. Yeah. And you sort of went, well, clearly they were at loggerheads with each other. And we have to go and we have to play the show. But we're not doing any other shit because yeah. I can't fucking stand the sight of you. Yeah. Um. And it would get like that. It'd be it'd be taxing. It'd be mm. really Justin Bieber going from town to town, town to town, town to town. Hop over to country Europe. Country to country. Hop over to Europe. Do the fucking Europe tour. Got to go yeah. down to Australia. You know, making it make an album all in the middle of that as well. Making an album. Got to go on the local radio station. Yeah. Talk to such and such. Got to go and do a, a PR appearance for a sponsor or a partner or yeah. something. You know, you've got to be on. Yeah. All the time, and you have to be. We spoke about that carefully curated vision. Mm. You have to be that person all the time. So, yeah, so I just really enjoyed it because it gave me an insight into something that I've I've grown up with Justin Bieber being the kid mm. in my life. In my life anyway, it was early high school and late adulthood going, like this kid's still doing his thing, still rocking. And it gave me an insight into what his life is like, kind of. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I'll admit it to anyone. I don't care. Um, and... I, w- I think, honestly, if tickets weren't overly expensive, if he ever came over here, I, would, I wouldn't I would go, if, if it was like, yeah, I'm going to play all my old music. I'd be like, oh, I don't know. I would go to his concert, I reckon, if he came back. If, if he came back. I wouldn't. I, I, I know you wouldn't. <laughs> um, I, like st- I still haven't gotten over that Justin Timberlake gig. <laughs> Gee, I just didn't think he was going to stop. He played for three hours. Mm. And he only had like three songs on you. 
<laughs> I'm thinking he had a lot of songs where I was like, I didn't know that was one of yours. I didn't, I've never heard this song. And then he'd play like Sexy Back or something and you'd be like, yeah, I know this one. You're there, you're there in the stands just grinding. No, I wasn't doing that. At one point I actually went and sat in the stand just you know, looking at the watch, looking at the phone. I was like, this guy's not, he's never going to stop. What, gonna, year, what year was this? Oh, 2015 maybe, 16? Okay, so was that, was that Mirror's song out? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And that's I was, a great song. He actually doesn't have that many like up-tempo songs. No. And I thought in a concert that's disastrous because <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't like get the tempo up and like, yeah, yeah, let's let's go, let's go. I just remember thinking, Eddie had stadium management, I'm going to have to turn the lights off and <laughs> say, Justin, you're done, mate. You're done. I, th- I, think, I think I might have told you this, but my first concert ever was Usher. Wow. Um, I went... Went with them with just another friend because we we're trying to choose between Chris Brown and Usher. Wow. Yeah. What was I would have been year seven maybe grade six. Um, we chose Usher regrettably because I just stayed at home. Yeah. But then we we're there. We got dropped off by by mum, and we go in, and he starts playing his you know um, yeah just classic yeah. Usher songs, and then he starts doing his like real like love making songs, Ooh. and me and my other like thirteen year old were just looking at each other going. What's going on? And he's like pulling, he's pulling women up, grinding on them, and we're just like, hmm. excuse me, Mister Usher, <laughs> Mister Raymond, could you please play the hits? <laughs> can you go back to like early two thousand? You know the the songs that they played on the radio. <laughs> Those ones. So that was, that was my first concert experience, and it was very um, eye opening by the sounds of it. Eye opening, confusing, and an experience. Well, there you go. Uh, so, so yeah, Justin Bieber, Seasons slash Justin Bieber, the next chapter. He's a bit like, like when I was growing up, like um, Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Macaulay Culkin was one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Oh, yeah. In the early 90s. Yeah. Huge. And understandably, family issues, well-documented issues yeah. with his dad and blah, blah, Um, Understandably, just sort of like disappeared. Yeah. And it's the rumours of like drug use and there was these photos, paparazzi photos, he looked awful and you went, oh, shit, mate. But then now, like recently, he's made a bit of a comeback and you're like, he looks pretty well-adjusted, pretty normal guy. Somewhat, but then he's still, like, you look at him like, oh, ex-druggy. A little bit, but you kind of like, for what you... Could have been. What you were looking like you were going to be. Yeah. You've actually stuck the landing. Yeah, he's pegged it back a little. You've really kind of reined it back in and you're actually pretty close to kind of normal. Yeah. There's still this funny, like... I think he himself steps back occasionally and goes, it's almost like a different, another person yeah. did all that other stuff. It's yeah. this weird, yes, I did and I can remember it, but it's so long ago and I'm not, I'm not into it anymore. Mm. It's this, it's this interesting thing. If you see, what's he, uh, bunny ears or something? Is his podcast? Ah, oh, I don't know. He turns up occasionally on like red letter media and he's yeah, not yeah. bad. Um, so you're giving that, Justin Bieber thing, a thumbs up? Yeah, thumbs up. It's on YouTube Premium, um, so you can get a free trial for like a month or two weeks or something, so you can smash that out. If you want to watch it, I doubt you do, though. No. Um, not you. I know you won't, but you know, to any of the listeners out there um, that might have it, you know, a little bit of a tickling yeah. uh, for uh, for J- Justin Bieber, <laughs> give it a go, and the new one, the next chapter bit is free on his channel. Cool. Uh, my third and final pick for this week is something that I – Remember seeing when it came out, it came out in 2015 and I remember going, oh, that looks interesting. And then for one reason or another missed it and kind of forgot about it. And it came back into my orbit relatively recently, like really like by complete accident. And I saw the title, All Things Must Pass. And I went, I can remember that. 
someone said, Colin Hanks, son of Tom Hanks, directed this documentary, All Things Must Pass. And I went, I remember that. It's, a, the, it's the one about Tower Records. And I looked right. it up and I was like, how long ago was that? Five years ago. I went, wow, mm-hmm. shit. So I went, went and grabbed it. All Things Must Pass, The Rise and Fall of Tower Records, directed by Colin Hanks. Really, I really liked it. Documentary basically charting the rise and fall of this industry titan, Tower Records, which you know started out selling used uh, 45s, used singles, yeah. in the family pharmacy. And they, they sort of went, geez, I think they like they bought them as a, oh, they sort of, the pharmacy sold everything. This guy, this, this old man ran it. They sold everything. Not just pharmaceutical drugs, but like fucking combs and you know, bouncy balls and yeah. shit like that. Yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they basically said one day, oh, we'll get some used 45 records. We'll sell them, see how they go. It sold out. And they got some more. Sold out. And they just went, fuck, these are, like, they're selling. People <laughs> are buying these records. But they're buying used ones. They might buy some some new ones, so we'll, we'll figure it out. So they drove into San Francisco and they found a record wholesaler and they bought a bunch of new records. Mm. They started selling and they going gangbusters, like selling out, selling out, selling out. And then the young guy, Russ Solomon, who's the founder, basically said to his dad, I'd like to have a record store. I reckon there's a business in this. This is like in the early, like in the 60s. Yeah. And his dad was a bit reticent and said, look, that's on you. If you want to do it, it's on you, blah, blah, blah. They ended up, Tower Records was like the biggest music store in America. Yeah. Expanded into Japan. You watch it and there's bits of this record store as they're, they're growing, they're expanding location. They start off with one, they have two, then they have three. They became like the hub in their little area. If you music buffs, music musicians, one yeah. guy told a funny story. He goes, I was working Tower Records. He goes, and I looked up. He goes, and this was a common occurrence. Like it was Eric Clapton. He goes, he looked up from the counter and there'd be Elton John. They used to open the store early for him so he could come in yeah. and buy his records. Mm. And these great stories about all these different musicians. Lots, a little bit like the comedy store. Yeah. I think Dave Grohl said he worked at a Tower Records. Yeah. And there was just something so romantic about this era of retail. Empire Records is a fun film that kind of covers it, very much based on Tower Records, the idea. Um, having worked in a video shop as I did when I was younger, my first job, I don't know, there's just something romantic about this era of commerce that we will never have again. Mm. They tell these great stories about this beautiful 12-inch vinyl LPs. You know, they look fantastic with their cover art. They're sitting there. It's a brand-new release from whoever it might be and lines around the block so it's like that with anything though i i enter shoe raffles now online mm. none of it's none of it's line up like you know fend, fend for yourself people punching on because you pushed in line like it's it all just you know apply for a raffle online if you get it you get it whatever but there's this great stuff like they used to have the big cover art out the front of the tower record stores like the mm. big album art and we we're thinking jb used to do that yeah. so you're like clearly i can't remember the guy's name his initials were jb but when he founded JB Hi-Fi, it was like he probably just went to America and came back and was like, Tower Records, we don't have anything like that. Yeah, yeah, we'll just copy it. And they did. And it's a really great, really fun um, yeah, look at something which I think everyone enjoyed, but we'll never have again. Like something like Borders is almost like the last store of that kind. And it failed so like, catastrophically mm. that there probably won't be anything like that again where I'm as much to blame for borders collapse as anyone because I never used to buy anything. I used to like looking around, but 
I think the mainstay in that category will probably be books. A little bit, but this because this you look at gimmicks and all that sort of stuff. I think there's always going to be, and there will always be a niche market for vinyls and for you know lining up and buying things and stuff. But as the world progresses, I think the one thing that will stay is going to be books. Mm. I feel. Oh, absolutely, and I think that you know not to, to labour the point, but I think it's just a love letter to a period that everyone who lived through it loved mm. this idea of going to the record store to either have a browse or what's out or specifically because your favourite bands released that album. Off to sanity. I've got to get it. I have to get it. I have to go to Tower Records. Yeah. And a great part of the doco for me was a lot of the people interviewed were like senior senior employees of Tower, but they all they all started on at the low end of the totem pole. They all started as a stock boy or working at the counter or working in their local their local shop as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old. And it was a very much a, a company that was built from within mm. that the guy who, Russ, the guy who founded it, a lot of the people had been with the company for 30 years, for 40 years, and just grew and grew and grew. And it was a fun, um, it was a fun section on when they expanded into Japan. They expanded into Japan before they expanded into the East Coast of America because there was a fervor for American culture and for the classic like American pressing. So it was always this, like back in the day with LPs and CDs a little bit, there were always these legendary like Japanese pressings of whatever the album might be. And it might have a different cover yeah, yeah. or it might have a, a different, uh, like a bonus track or a B-side or whatever. Well, the Japanese were the same, but in reverse. The Japanese wanted the genuine article. The Japanese wanted the American pressing, American <laughs> cover, American everything. Yeah. And they, there's this great bit where they open in Shibuya. They open the, the Tower Record Store, which is still there. Like they've gone out of business everywhere, but for a few shops in Japan. And it was like, the guy said, oh, we were hoping to do pretty good business. He goes, the blue, the, the blew the doors off. Mm. And it's this, I don't know, as I said, I, I just loved watching it and loved getting that sense of having lived through it for a short period of time, the way things used to be. Yeah. And nostalgia is a very powerful, very potent sort of emotion. Mm-hmm. And all things must pass. The rise and fall of uh, Tower Records um, hits all the right notes, plays right into that, and 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 in, in paints a really loving portrait of, as I said, something that was great but will never be again because of the realities, the way the shift of the music industry and digital, and and how it's all gone. And yeah. you know, like the Killers album was released a little while ago. Now I just woke up and it was in my iTunes, and you're like. That's convenient. Oh, right, I can yeah. listen to it straight away. Yeah. But I still remember the rush of going down to Sanity, uh, the Pines. I was I was opening the video shop, funnily enough, in 2006. And the rush of going there in the morning to buy Samstown so I could listen to it yeah. at work. And I just, I just feel in that rush of got to get in, got to get it, got to buy it, got to yeah. take it to work. My mum's car at the time didn't have a CD player. Yeah got to go get into work and I can listen to it at work. I listen to it all day. Listen to you know a couple of times through. A guy came in actually it was really funny. He was walking around for he was probably early twenties and he was walking around for a little bit and he goes, It's the killer's album? And I said, Yeah, it's a new one. He goes, Gotta go get it. <laughs> but it was just a great sort of feeling of camaraderie where you yeah. shared something. You shared an enthusiasm and excitement and anticipation for something. Now so much of that is just it's internalized. It's behind a closed door. It's 
you wake up and you refresh your iTunes. Oh, there it is. Good. I'll yeah. listen to it. So uh, I really liked it. If if for people for for people who love music, for people who worked at a record store or at a video store, will we'll probably really identify with it as well. Um, the amount of fun those workplaces were. Um, I think I, my one of my dream jobs, my whole life. Well, since since I started in retail, it's JB Hi-Fi. Never got in. I'm a JB Hi-Fi alum. Yeah, I I know. Um, I just never, I could never get in. Don't know why. Don't know how. I had a retail experience. They just didn't want me. Maybe I wasn't edgy enough or weird looking enough. I think you're edgy enough. I, I'm now. I wasn't. I. I think. I, uh, I I am edgy. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. I didn't mind it. It was okay. I, yeah. The video shop was a million times better. The video shop was fucking great. Yeah, there was one around the corner from my school that everyone kind of worked at, and then it turned into an RGA. Wow, weird. When when obviously Blockbuster and shit was closing down. Yeah. Um, it turned into an IGA, and then they all just got jobs at the IGA. <laughs> 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 it's like, what? Because <laughs> you were stacking tapes last week. Today you're selling pastrami. What's going on? So now it's the IGA, and there was a milk bar on that same strip that closed down, obviously, because it took the business. But, um, yeah, it was, su- it was such a weird transition. Everyone was like, yeah, I work at the video shop, work at the video shop, and then, oh, I work at the IGA. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> it's just retail. I mean, it's not, it's not comparable. But obviously the owner was like, I need staff. I need an IGA. You just want to get all your same staff and just swap them over. So that was. I like the the one of the the video shop I the first video shop I worked at was the Video Easy on the corner of Donny and Blackburn Roads. Yeah. Next to the McDonald's, and I think it used to be it was like a I think it was a post office for many years. Yeah. And then it became maybe something else, and it was Video Easy for a little while, but now and I deliver to it. It's like one of those serendipitous things. Yeah. It's on my round, and it's like an Asian supermarket. Oh. So, like, it's so funny. I walked in there today, actually. I, they don't get a lot of stuff. I walked in there today and I was like, the place looks a lot smaller. Oh, yeah. Like, it's jam-packed with aisles yeah, and fridges yeah. and stuff. I remember sitting there going, the place looks so much smaller than it used to. And you kind of, you, you have that moment where you catch yourself when you walk around, you're like, oh, that's where, like, drama was. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Comedy was on that side and kid stuff was back there in the corner. And it was that, that we, you, I do find myself catching um, that moment of nostalgia every so often where I walk in and just go, this was a really great place to work. Or you just used to walk around and like when you weren't able to watch M movies yet, you'd walk past the M aisle and go, mm, we I'm were able, not allowed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> in store, there was always that, that crutch of like M. M was sort of like. The un, like, oh, I'm almost there. The one that you could watch in store. You couldn't mm. watch all M movies. Yeah. You had to show a bit of discretion. Like stuff like, um, this is a completely different topic. That's why the American PG thirteen is a, like a great rating. Yeah, they don't. America don't have enough ratings, right. but you could argue that they have the best rating. Yeah, like our rating system is a bit more holistic in um, G, PG, M, M, A, R, whereas they've got like I think they've got like E for everyone, PG thirteen. New Zealand have AO as their, uh, as their R. Well, see, they have... Adults only. America have R, but it's actually more like MA, and then they've got X. X is like... X-rated, that's X right. X is like R. So their, their, their ratings are a bit skew if. But the PG-13 rating, yeah. which is basically like Avengers movies, PG-13, because yeah, yeah, yeah. it is a bit silly. Like Harry Potter, for instance. I remember a guy at the video shop cracked the shits at us one night because we had a Harry Potter film on. It was rated M. I remember saying to him, yeah, like, it's fair enough. I was like, it's, it's on the lip. Go, it's like it's... 
I remember having briefly, he was actually quite an interesting guy when we sort of talked about it and I said that. Like I go, a customer or like customer, a boss? Customer, customer. He cracked the shits. We didn't crack the shits, but he was a Jesus bit like whatever. Christ. And I said, it's not a PG film, but it's not an M. Go, but it can't exist in the middle because there's no yeah. rating. Go, like, it's a bit, it, I, I, I said to him, I get what you're That's saying. book, mate, get over it. That's what I said, I get, I, get <laughs> I get what you're saying, but, but it's I, not. I'll take it on board, but I do not agree with it. Yeah, and I, I think it had only just come out, so I was like, yeah. we want to put it on so people know it's out. Yeah, yeah, um, But All Things Must Pass is really good fun. Like I said, if you love record stores, if you worked in a store like that, if you have a pang of that nostalgia, it's a really good watch. Um, quite a few years old now, but uh, track it down if you can. It's a excellent two thumbs up. Mm, lovely. So what is your pick of the week? Um, my pick of the week is going to be Borat. Just really? Because, yeah, just because um, my, yeah, the Justin Bieber, eh, and my little Medal of Honor one. You don't really want to pin yourself to yeah. Bieber, do you? No. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll, th- I'll, I'll stick with Borat. It was, it was yeah, as, as, as you said, better than, better than you expected. Um, and... Bit of a kind of cult following movie, mm. you could say, um, that I'm proud to hang my hat on. My pick of the week is the Comedy Store. Yep. Um, all five episodes are out now, so you can, if you like it. On what? Showtime. It's a Showtime in America, so it might be a Foxtel thing because Foxtel get a few of the yeah. Showtime shows. Um, but then again, I'm not sure if it's a stand thing. I don't know. But all five episodes no, are out. Got rid of it. it is absolutely brilliant. Um, okay. And if you like it, you'll tear through it. Yeah. So Comedy Store is my pick. Um, give it a shot if you have the means to. Marvellous. And where can they find us, Sean? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram and the like. We don't have Instagram. I was actually thinking on the way here, maybe I should make an Instagram for us. Oh, I don't know about that. That's on you. And, and then I thought Sean will probably say no. <laughs> you can. You, you can, but you're responsible for it. Which is, and I'm happy to. Uh, but I'm at Sean Peter Much, all one word. Yep. You can track me down, find me there. Willie, Willie P. You can find me at Willie P, two L's, two Y's, two P's, two E's. Um, if you like obnoxious uh, rants about weird shit on Twitter and the occasional cod clip um, and just general banter, give me a follow. Um, Too easy. Interact with me. Um, and I guess we'll we'll reconvene in another 10 to 14 days. And <laughs> That's it. We're like a, yeah, we're like a ship. <laughs> so for, people, for people calling us out that it's saying you're the weekly watch list, it just doesn't – the bi-weekly watch list just doesn't have the same nah, we're like a we're, we're like a parcel from the, U, the U.S., but 10 to 14 You're going to get us. <laughs> Might be a bit late, but you'll enjoy it otherwise. Too easy. Well, you've been a pleasure, Will. It's been great to have you back. I'm glad to be back. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for nice listening, smooth everyone. Smooth tones. I'm back. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.